Okay, Alexander, we had the meeting, actually, I think it's still going on, the meeting of uh, defense ministers in uh, the Ramstein um, base in Germany. And uh, we had a speech from Lloyd Austin. I, uh, I followed what he, what he said briefly with regards to, to what's going on in Ukraine. He said that there's going to be a big turning point very, very soon, which I thought was interesting. Uh, of course, we have a lot of weapons being pledged to Ukraine. I mean, a lot of weapons being pledged to Ukraine. And even the Netherlands, according to various sources, is now talking about fighter jets, F-16s. So we've quickly gone from tanks to fighter jets. They're preparing us for the next uh, wonder weapon, which is going to be those fighter jets. Uh, of course, the question is who's going to fly these, these jets and you know, everything else that, that I'm sure everyone's going to think of with uh, supplying Ukraine with, with fighter jets. But um, escalation, I think, is the name of the game. Well, a, a big windfall for the military-industrial complex, no surprise given Lloyd Austin's background. But uh, escalation and a turning point, according to Austin. Absolutely. And a turning point in what respect? Because he was incredibly vague about this. He didn't tell us exactly in what way the war is turning. Oh, is, is Ukraine winning or is it losing? Now, we've been following the events on the battlefields. We've been following the events in Bakhmut, in Solidar. There's been more news today about Russian advances in Zaporozhye region. Uh, there's a town called Orekhov, which is now at risk, apparently, of being surrounded in Zaporozhye region as well, surrounded by the Russians, I should make it clear. But... I can't help but think that when Austin is talking about a turning point, that's what he's worried about, that in fact the war is going wrong. And apparently, I mean, Der Spiegel is saying that German intelligence is now briefing the German government that the war is going wrong, that Ukraine is losing hundreds of men every day, that um, it's been worn down, and this is the turning point they are afraid of. They're afraid that far from a stalemate, which is what they were talking about a short time ago, far from Ukraine achieving victories, Ukraine is going down to defeat. So we have this panicked reaction, everybody coming along, pledging weapons, tanks, aircraft from the Netherlands, Patriot missile systems from the Netherlands, Denmark is sending its entire stock of Caesar self-propelled howitzers. They're not keeping back anything. Estonia, as you said in a program we did before, uh, is basically bragging about the fact that it's given all its weapons. And at the centre of it all is Germany. The Germans are getting all these reports. The war is going badly for Ukraine, but they're being bullied and pressured and told that they must give all of these tanks with the implication that if they don't, then not only will they have isolated themselves in Europe, but that they will take the blame when Ukraine goes down. And I suspect this is partly what this is all about. All of these countries now are being pressured to share out the weapons because none of them wants to be seen to be holding back because if Ukraine loses, the one that holds back will be the one that's blamed 
for Ukraine's defeat. So this is really what I think the agenda is now. Yeah, uh, Elensky is, is saying that Germany is, is going to be blamed pretty much in a statement. He said that Germany is going to be blamed if they don't send the, the Leopard 2s. But at the end of the day, Russia is going to demolish all of these weapons anyway. I mean, I'm looking at all of these weapons which are being given to Ukraine and they're coming from so many different places, so many different uh, companies that have made these weapons. And, and I just think to myself, how, how is this even possible to, to have all of these different weapons from different countries and different manufacturers and just everything being just completely um, emptied out from inventories, handed to Ukraine. And, and what are they supposed to do with all of these things? Well, indeed, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that, it, it seems like this is, a, this is a massive train wreck catastrophe about to happen. Yes, I, mean, for I Ukraine. completely agree. Absolutely, I completely agree. I mean, and you're getting now generals coming out and saying so. I mean, there's now two German generals, General Vad and General Kuyat, who've spoken out against this. And I'm sure they talk for a lot of their, a lot of other people in the German uh, uh, political and military leadership. And I believe there's a U.S. general. These are retired generals, obviously, because they're the only ones who are allowed to talk speak out. But I understand a U.S. general has given an interview to CNN in which he said it doesn't make any kind of sense to send all these weapons, all these heavy weapons to Ukraine. You know, this is... And I've been reading the British media, which is, of course, the one that's most accessible to me, and it's completely unclear what these weapons are for. You have some suggestions from some people, the ones who are enthusiasts for the war, that this is all intended to enable Ukraine to break through the Russian defence lines. They need heavy weapons. They need tanks to break through the uh, Russian defence lines. They haven't had them up to now, and now we've got to give them, and this will secure victory. And then there's another explanation, which I have also seen, that Ukraine needs all these weapons in order to parry the next big Russian offensive that's coming. And then there's a comment from, I think it was the Czech defence minister, who basically says, well, we've completely run out of Soviet-era weapons, you know, all the kinds of weapons that we used to have. And that's why we're going to continue supporting Ukraine. We've got to now start supplying these weapons because we don't have the other preferred weapons that we used to have because our stocks of those are now totally exhausted. And I've seen yet another report, again in the British media, which says that the reason they're supplying armoured vehicles, tanks and armoured vehicles now is because they've basically given up all attempts to supply Ukraine with the artillery that they were supplying before. Stocks of artillery are almost exhausted. Ammunition stocks are now dangerously low. So since we can't equal the Russians in artillery, well, you might as well supply tanks. So different, different kinds of rationalisations for this decision. But I sense overall that it is, these are just rationalisations. Nobody has any clear idea what this is for. I mean, if, if Austin thinks that Ukraine needs these tanks to achieve some kind of battlefield victory... Why doesn't he? Why isn't he saying so? If Austin thinks Ukraine needs these tanks because it needs them to defend itself from a Russian offensive, why doesn't he say so? He talks about, you know, we're at a turning point. He's vague about the turning point, and that tells you again how ultimately incoherent this whole thing is, and how nothing really makes 
any sense here anymore. Yeah, the deputy spokeswoman for for the Pentagon, she said that uh, the U.S. is not going to be sending Abrams tanks because it makes no sense to send Abrams tanks because of all the maintenance and everything that, you know, we've been going over, that Brian Berletic, the new Atlas has been going over. All the things that all of us have been saying for so long is basically what she said yesterday. We're not going to send Abrams tanks. And Germany is saying, we're not going to send leopards unless you send Abrams and so, you know, here, here we are. Everyone is trying to bully now Germany to send those, those leopard tanks, which would just be awful optics to have German tanks rolling through Ukraine to fight the Russians. Terrible uh, optics. But, you know, so they're making, making it up as they go along. I mean, they're building up, they're building an army on the fly. You've, they're building you've an army on the fly. That's, that's, that's the way I'm, I'm seeing it. Yeah, you, you've, you've, you've said that many times. Well, that's exactly what it is. And you've, you've put it exactly correct. It's, it's they're making it up as they go along and they're building an army on the fly. <laughs> that's, not how you, that's not how you build an army. I mean, it's, it, it, and nobody really see, wants to take a step back and think this thing through. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, you said, are you going to use all these weapons to break through Russian defences and go towards... At one point in time, they were talking Melitopol and then eventually going towards uh, Crimea. That, that was being talked about three months ago. Are you going to use these weapons to, to stop a Russian advance in Donbass? Are you going to use everything to stop a Russian advance in uh, from Belarus, which Zaluzhny was talking about? Which one is it? What do you think about the fourth uh, thing that they're talking about a lot, which Elensky um, mentioned at his speech at the WEF? And uh, the Pentagon also mentioned uh, yesterday, the spokeswoman also said this, which is to give Ukraine the ability to hit at Crimea. They're, they're, very, they're, they're very obsessed with striking at Crimea. I imagine they want to hit Crimea because maybe they feel like that will lead to some sort of chain reaction, which would then destabilize the Russian government. I imagine that's their thinking or give them the leverage where Putin says, oh, oh my God, I've, they've hit Crimea, I better surrender now or else I'm going to, to be removed from office. I mean, I don't know, I guess that's, that's their thinking, but, but they're fixated on striking at Crimea. Yes. The collective West and, and, uh, and Alensky. Absolutely, completely correct. And, but again, they can't make up their mind, or so it seems, about how they're going to do it. So apparently Atakam's missiles are still off the table for being supplied. And I gather the reason for that is not the various reasons that have been given, that these are, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, that this would be an escalatory move and all that. It's, again, that there aren't that many of these things. If Ukraine were to use these in large numbers and they were all to be shot down fast, the United States might find itself running out of stocks of these things. Bear in mind, they've just plundered their 300,000 reserve 155 millimeter shells in Israel needed for their Middle East wars to keep Ukraine supplied. The Pentagon wants to cling on to its Atakams systems. So apparently for that reason, up to now, there's resistance to it. But they, you know, they do want to hit Crimea. And they, they're now talking about this new 
missile that they're going to build, which is going to combine, uh, a, you know, a small bomb with a rocket, and that's going to have the range to hit Crimea. Well, that may be the plan. Or maybe they're going to let Ukraine use its drones, its long-range drones, which have been converted into cruise missiles to hit Crimea. I don't know what they're thinking, but I'll tell you something. I think that article in the New York Times has provoked a Russian reaction because you've, I'm sure you've seen the pictures I'm, and everybody's seen the pictures of the Russians now installing air defence systems on their public buildings in Moscow. And I think the Russians have been watching and following all of this and they're saying to themselves, well, it looks as if these increasingly desperate and reckless people are now prepared to do all sorts of extreme things. They may be talking about Crimea, but perhaps an even juicier target from their point of view, their, you know, their PR propaganda world, is Moscow itself. And therefore, we, st we have to start taking precautions. So, you know, I, I, you know I, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know how they think they can hit Crimea. Are they going to go for the bridge in Crimea? What are they going to do? It's all very unclear for the moment. Will they eventually you know, supply Ukraine with these attack missiles. But you can already see that the Russians are responding, even though for the moment it's only a defensive reaction. You know, if they go on escalating like this, well, who knows whether it will always be so. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, just my final question to you is, I mean... Okay, so they want to hit Crimea. They want to hit Moscow, say. Maybe they're, they're thinking of the, the, the target as being Moscow. Haven't they thought through what the Russian response would be if, if they managed to do something like that? Haven't they thought how devastating the Russian response would be? Yes. Or do they well, think, or are they under this, this, this illusion that, that Russia, because they've shown a certain amount of, of restraint in the, in, in the past, especially in the beginning of the war, that the Russians are not going to, to do anything. Well, that's exactly what, they, what they're saying to themselves. I mean, we've had Boris Johnson going around saying, you know, let's ignore what the Russians say or threaten, because even, even though, by the way, much of what he's saying is a straw man argument, because he says that the Russians have threatened to use tactical nuclear weapons, and we know they never have done. But anyway, so Boris Johnson says, escalate as much as you want. You can do whatever you like, because the Russians are never going to escalate back in return. And he's not the only person who's talking in that way. So you have that rhetoric as well. You know, provide Ukraine with everything, every conceivable weapon that it asks for. Never any admission, by the way, that there's limited supplies of these things. Never ad any admission that there's logistical issues. You know, it's a, rhetor a rhetorical position. But, you know, escalate, go on escalating, escalating to the most extreme point and tell yourself all the time that the Russians will take it all and will never respond. And this is where a lot of people, of course, are saying that, you know, this immense restraint the Russians have shown up to this point actually invites this kind of Western escalation, and I think it does. But, of course, the danger is that the point will eventually come when the Russians say enough 
and might start escalating in exactly the way you said. Now, I've seen reports in the Russian media, I'm sure you've seen them as well, that there are now Russian voices that are saying, if they start taking these kind of steps, well, we should start launching our own missile strikes on uh, weapons, bases and training centres in NATO territory. And I have to say, if that happens, we are in an <laughs> extraordinarily dangerous situation indeed. What did they do in response? What do all of these people, the Boris Johnsons, the uh, um, Anthony Blinkens, the, all of those people, what did they do? Well, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think the Russian leadership, yeah, the bear box. I, while I think these people that you named and much of the uh, the Ukraine leadership is absolutely looking to, to hit Crimea, and I, would, I imagine they would be thrilled to to hit Moscow. I mean, that's what I would imagine. I think that's you know they they want to hit deep inside of Russian territory. For them, it's a big PR win. I think the the, the Russian leadership would not retaliate. My feeling is that they yes. would retaliate to yes. the point of hitting NATO territory. They would keep the the retaliation confined to to Ukraine. I, I would imagine that would be yes. the retaliation, but I mean I, I don't know. I, I entirely agree and I think that that is certainly my own view. But you know, it would might be irresponsible to assume that. And of course there is now there are now voices within Russia itself that are calling for this. Now, you know, I don't think that they are influential voices yet. But, you know, do you really want an outcry like that to grow? I mean, why assume if you strike Moscow, for example, that that's going to lead people in Russia to say, well, you know, this war's going badly wrong for us. You know, they're now hitting Moscow. Let's overthrow Putin. <laughs> why, why assume that? Why not assume that Russians will say um, we're under our country is under attack, under assault by the West? We need to retaliate directly against the West. Now, I'm not saying that's. I'm not predicting that that's what would happen, but. Is it really wise? Is it really responsible for people in the West to assume that? Maybe that's what they want. Some of these. Crazies. Oh, I, 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 okay. So, I mean, I've read a very interesting interview by a German general, ex-German general, General Kuyat, and he says this. He says that there. That, I mean. If you, you have to read his, his interview carefully. He's a man who chooses his words carefully. But he makes it pretty clear that he thinks the war was provoked. He also makes it pretty clear that attempts to find negotiating solutions were sabotaged. And he makes it also pretty clear that he thinks that the people who provoked the war are still very much in control and that they are um, ultimately seeking to provoke it even further and to escalate it even more. And I think he's right. And I think there are some people who want to see the war escalate. But to what point? To the point of, of their benefit. Yes, but what is that? Europe back in, back in a world war, I, I don't know, back in a world war scenario, back in a position where, where their, their economic 
uh, mis misdeeds are are washed over. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. My my own personal view is that anger and emotion are increasingly what is driving this. The the sanctions have failed, and I think this is now generally coming to be recognised. So the original plan to cause you know, Russia to collapse economically, that's failed. The expectations of some kind of military victory by Ukraine on the battlefields has also failed. I mean, you know, we had offensives in, Her in Kharkov, the latest events on the battlefields, particularly if this town of Siversk in the north of Donbass falls, that will, in effect, cancel out many of the gains from the original Kharkov offensive. It won't regain all the territory, but it will cancel it out. The Kherson offensive, there's more and more voices in the West saying that it was a strategic failure. It didn't achieve anything effective or useful. So expectations of Ukrainian victories or Russian defeats also creating a crisis in Moscow, that's failed as well. So these people are now, I think, largely at the moment driven by anger, an emotion, as you said, they're making it up as they go along. They're trying in a hurry to build an, uh, uh, an army in the, on the fly. They're incredibly abusive towards everybody in the West who speaks out and calls for caution. They're bullying the Germans. And I don't think they really thought through the implications. And because they're so angry and they're so emotional and they can't give up on their grand, great plan, which isn't working, they are telling everybody, well, let's escalate because eventually our plan will succeed. And in the meantime, don't worry about anything that Putin says or does because it's all bluff. <laughs> so I think that's, that's, that's the thinking there. I, I, I don't think this is being planned out, because to be straightforward about it, I don't see any plan at all. <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, uh, um, uh, you know, I don't know whether you remember, you know, in Apocalypse Now, when, you know, General Kurtz, Colonel Kurtz asked, do you see any method in my madness? And the, the reply comes back, I didn't see any method at all. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm increasingly unable to see much method in this. But that doesn't make it any less dangerous. Doesn't make it any less dangerous, yeah. All right. Uh, TheDuran.Locals.com. Look for us on Rockfin as well. And The Duran Shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.